Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, today is a very, very special day. We're starting a brand new, I'm going to put series like that, that we call One Hit Wonder. We do this most every summer around July, end of June and July. And the idea behind this is every summer, there's some new summer jam that comes out that becomes the song of the summer. Anybody remember what I'm saying? Like songs of the summer. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, the songs of the summer for me were always either foreigner songs or journey songs. And occasionally there was a band called The Outfield. Josie's on vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. Yeah, and, and I would get jammed up by that, but it was usually Foreigner or Journey. And so if you come to our church, you know that occasionally we will do a Foreigner or a Journey song, mostly because I'm old and that's how I like to roll my jams. Right, but these are songs that you get that get on repeat, and you put them nowadays. We put them in a playlist, and oftentimes they become just like the band is like a one-hit wonder, and they just gave you this one great song, and then you never hear from them. Millie Vanilli. Of course, it turns out they weren't singing at all, so that's a whole other problem. Um, so today, whenever I hear a great song, I, I love to jam it into my playlist, and I just put it on repeat. And so this series has that kind of an idea, in that. We're going to be bringing over the next several weeks some of our pastors, and we're going to have some guest pastors as well who are going to come in and just kind of bring the thing that God's kind of got on repeat in their heart, the thing that they're sort of most fired up. And today we're going to do something we've never done before. Today we're going to do something I'm calling, uh, we're going to hear from some fresh voices as a church. You guys uh, hear me a lot and some of our other pastors a lot. And, but at LifePoint, we believe in the next generation, some of whom are right up here in the front. They just came back fired up from a camp this week, a conference. But not only in terms of an age, but in, in, in other words, in terms of the next generation or iteration of leaders and speakers. So today we've got five fresh voices that we are so excited to hear from today. We've already gotten to hear them, those of us who were in the first service. These guys are going to bring you what's on repeat in their hearts right now. Each of them will have exactly seven minutes and no more to deliver their message. And we think it's going to be awesome. And, and, and if they go over, they'll, they'll get a buzzer. None of them did uh, in their first service, and they rocked it so hard. They've been praying They've been studying and preparing for several weeks now, and God is going to use their messages to speak to us. Let me introduce them real quickly. Scott Dunlap right here. He's going to go first in just a second. Jordan Blunt right here. She's going to go second. Cody Blunt, her husband, going to go next after that. And then Jillian Benfield will be going fourth right here. By the way, yeah, Jillian Benfield has a blog called JillianBenfield.com. Please, please go check it out. Unbelievable writing there. And then we're going to close it out with our, our student pastor, Pastor Andrew Garcia. Give it up for all of them. But right now, we want to bring to the stage uh, a guy who's leading our small group ministry, helping lead our small group ministry. His name is Scott Dunlap. One more time, guys. Give him a big old, big old hand, would you? There is a famous Bible story that we have potentially gotten wrong. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. It's the greatest underdog story of all time, right? We all know that David was the underdog, right? But what if we have the story wrong? What if Goliath was the underdog? And like almost every underdog, he was soundly defeated by a superior opponent. In the book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants, author Malcolm Gladwell surmises such an assumption. In the book, Malcolm Gladwell references a study published in 1960 in the Indiana Journal of Medicine on Goliath by a group of medical researchers. 
From the verses in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the researchers concluded that Goliath suffered from a condition called acromagaly, a condition caused by a benign tumor on the pituitary gland that causes an overproduction of human growth hormone, which causes continuous growth. The continuous growth causes limited mobility throughout time, and acromagaly further causes either nearsightedness, which means I can't see far away, or double vision. How many of you remember former wrestler Andre the Giant? Come on now, come on. If not, look him up on Google or YouTube. Man, from, it was heartbreaking to see him diminish from the 1970s up until the 1990s. He literally lost all of his mobility right before his death at the age of 46. You see, and listen up, the very source of Goliath's strength was also the source of his greatest weakness. Due to acromagaly, Goliath had limited mobility and poor eyesight. He was past his prime. Further, Goliath was a heavy infantryman, and due to that limited mobility and, and eyesight, he needed David to come close to him, really close. Goliath, as well as the entire Philistine army who agreed to the duel, thought the Israelites would send another heavy infantryman out to the duel, one that would walk right up to, God, right up to Goliath, so they thought, and engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat with him. This was Goliath's only chance of winning. On the contrary, David had no intention in engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat with Goliath. David planned on using mobility and range in order to use the only thing that he had, his sling from a distance. You see, the greatest advantage David had was that he was a slinger, and in ancient warfare, slingers were devastating to heavy infantry. This was the worst possible case for Goliath. According to experts, slings in that time were just as accurate and powerful as a 45 caliber handgun. Slingers were even known to hit birds in flight, and David had honed this same skill as a shepherd. You see, God had been preparing him for this moment. David literally brought a gun to the duel, and he had every intention and expectation of killing Goliath with one shot. David was not scared. He was actually, he was overly confident. And now you all see why. Imagine the horror of the Philistine army as they saw a young slinger taking aim on an immobile, and let's be honest, a handicapped Goliath. They knew what was about to go down. Perhaps the ancient Israelites used this story to remember a superior David defeating a weaker Goliath. They knew Slinger beats heavy infantry every time. So why do we view David as the underdog? Did the perspective of the Israelites get lost in time or maybe change in translation? Is it because we are focused on the superficial, on the youth of David, his smaller stature, and his inexperience compared to Goliath? Or have we projected our own self-image on David, our insecurities, our perceived weaknesses, our doubts about not being good enough? This story should show us that, per that perspectives are powerful. Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. God is not weak. 
He is all-powerful, and we're created in that same image. We believe in a big and a powerful God, but we have trouble believing that same big and powerful God resides in us. David knew this because he was a man after God's own heart. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. Them could be any giant that's in your life right now. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say some things. It says everything, and it's Christ who gives us strength. It's not our own. So here is the big takeaway. Listen up. Whatever giants you might be battling today, whether it's a relationship, health, or money issues, remember, giants are not as strong and powerful as they seem because our God has given us a sling. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Blunt. So I think the most difficult part about writing a talk like this is kind of knowing where to begin. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to introduce this concept that's been on my heart. And so I ultimately decided to begin um, my talk with a, a topic that felt very close to home for me. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my grandfather, Jerry Crane. My grandfather was born in 1934 in southern Arkansas. And at the age of 14, he contracts the polio virus, which ends up ultimately destroying his ability to walk, to use his hand, and to breathe properly. And he spends the next year of his life rehabilitating and trying to relearn what it means to use these muscles that have been robbed of him. Papa, as I called him, spent the rest of his life handicapped from this vicious virus. I'm sure he experienced a lot of physical and emotional suffering. And amazingly, though, he never lived as a victim. He spent the rest of his life with joy, with love, with jokes, and with music. And he served the Lord, and along with my amazing grandmother, he showed what it meant to have hope in God and his eternal promise. And I'm telling you all this because I often think about how easy it would have been for my grandfather to have wallowed in this injustice, to have been angry with God. You see, because life has this way of stealing our joy, right? And life at times can be a virus that takes away our ability to hold on to hope and to walk by faith and to breathe in God and his promise. And time has this way of allowing these present pains that we are experiencing to create scars on our hearts for years to come. And if I'm being completely honest with you, this past year has been a lot like that for me. For the past 10 months, I've experienced more valleys than mountaintops. I've questioned my purpose as a wife, as a teacher, as a sister, as a friend. I've grieved heavily over loss and grappled with some very much needed healing. And I struggled with finding joy and believing that God was going to come through for me. But throughout this season... I couldn't help but keep going back to this image of Jesus in the garden on the night that he was betrayed. Luke 
22 explains it like this. He, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. We see here an incredible description of the deep and utter agony Jesus felt even when he, before he went to the cross. He feared what was to come. He knew that he was going to be drinking from this cup of suffering, and he prayed for deliverance. And yet, even after asking, he still proclaims, not my will, but yours be done. And the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as enduring the cross and yet keeping his eyes on the joy set before him because Jesus didn't allow himself to wallow in the pain, okay? He didn't, he didn't, he chose to look beyond it to something better, God's promise. Revelation 21 says that this promise is that one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that there will be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Our understanding of God is usually distorted because we can't help but see his ways from a human perspective. It can be difficult to understand why God moves in the way that he does, and our humanity is in nearly incapable of grasping it. This author, Don Miller, describes it like this. I can no more understand the totality of God than the pancake I made for breakfast can understand the complexities of me. My grandfather was never completely healed from this physical suffering, in this lifetime at least. And while this injustice was a result of the fa a fallen world, God did not allow this injustice to go to waste. Jerry Crane spent the rest of his life serving the handicapped community and relying heavily on the good grace of Jesus. And why? Because he knew that God is good, regardless of his personal circumstances. And in my life, God is good. And how do I know? Because he'll tell me no. He won't bow to my every request, especially if it won't benefit me in the long run or give him glory. And praise God for that, because my life would be so different if it was relying on a prayer request of a 17-year-old Jordan. And God didn't let Jesus' suffering go to waste either. Our eternal salvation rests on God saying no to Jesus and his prayer. Isaiah 53 says that it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief because when his life was made as an offering for sin, it allowed for us to be counted as righteous. So take heart today. If any of this applies to you, I promise God is good. And regardless of the brokenness of your circumstance, regardless of the pain you may be feeling, regardless of the ever-changing world that we experience, God is good, and he will always come through for you.
God is good. Thank you. Up next, my husband, Cody Blunt. Today, I want to try to shed some light on how we can find contentment. We're going to look at a story found in Numbers chapter 11. We're picking this up sometime in the year following the Israelites' departure from Egypt, but before their 40 years of punishment. You might know the story. Israel was slaves to Egypt for 400 years, but God freed them through this leader named Moses. Well, it's been a year, and they've gotten reminiscent. Here's verses 4 through 6. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Two things here. If you hang around people who complain, you will start to complain. Attitude is contagious. And secondly, and what I want to key in on today Focusing on the empty things of this world will cause you to miss all of the blessings that you already do have. These people were being fed food from heaven, like they woke up and it was on the ground for them with the morning dew. It's an example of how God will always provide, but when it's not how we expected or maybe wanted, we begin to think He hasn't. I heard this statement said, discontentment is the sin of looking over God's goodness in your life. Do we ever stop and thank God for what we already have? There's a saying, what if tomorrow you woke up with only what you were thankful for? Are you missing the right now by wishing for the not yet? God gave Moses this message for the people later in verses 18 through 20, and say to the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or five, or ten, or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. You have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? They rejected God by forsaking what he had provided for them. They missed slavery because they focused on good pieces of a bad season. They settled on an old oppression for a new meal. Think of how quickly the happiness of a good meal leaves you. God has freed them. He's leading them to their own land and even feeding them. And in search of things they don't have, they miss what he's doing among them. But it's not just them. It's me too. Like sometimes I I read the Bible and I catch myself like, man, if it happened, there's no way I'd act like that. Or like, how can Israel keep turning away? Isn't God so obviously moving in front of them? But then I look at my own life and I feel such conviction because the only way I could ever be here speaking to you is by His grace. When I really look at my life, all I can feel is thankfulness not because it's perfect. I've got issues. You guys can ask my wife. It's actually for that reason that I'm left with thankfulness, because I deserve death. 
but he gives me life and gives it abundantly. In a psalm later written, this was said about this particular season for Israel, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. See, in our hunger for that promotion, the money that comes with it, the new car, the new clothes, the new shoes, we, God may just give us what we want. But each time we get more of what we want, we get less of Him. We get less room in our lives for Him. And that brings the question to us all, do we really need the empty things of this world, or do we need Jesus? Lost my place. Oh, no. This isn't a call to give all of your money away, but to simply take a step back and despite what you know, think, or believe about him, see all that God has already provided and just be thankful for it. Paul said this about contentment in Philippians chapter 4, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We see that quote in gyms and on locker room walls like it's meant to pump people up. It's meant to be a pillar we lean on in times where we feel like we just don't have enough. Because at the root of discontentment is this feeling that if I, if I just get more, I'll finally feel good. If I can just get this or that, it will finally be enough. But building up that kind of treasure creates a never-ending climb. The fact is, we often treasure the wrong things. See, Paul was actually in prison when he wrote Philippians. But he had a different perspective than we have. And if we can tap into that, we can look in the face of discontentment and we can say, no, 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 I have Jesus. Jesus is my treasure. And there's no striving for him. He gives it all, undeserved, not free. He paid for it. The one thing you really need has already been provided for you. You get him. Because of what Jesus did on this earth, we get to have communion with him now and forever. Be content with what you have today. And let Jesus be enough. Thank you. You guys give it up for Jillian Benfield. Everyone goes through rough patches, right? It's expected. Well, my husband and I, we went through a rough half a decade. I only have seven minutes to speak to you today, so I'm going to take you from 2014 to 2018 in what I hope is about 30 seconds, okay? Okay, so in 2014, we found out that our unborn son had Down syndrome. We feel very, very differently about Down syndrome today, but at the time, we didn't know what we didn't know, and we were devastated. The next year, that same son had open-heart surgery. The year after that, we had a miscarriage. Soon after the miscarriage, we got pregnant again. Everything looked good. We told family and friends about the pregnancy, and two days after we announced it, doctors found out something was seriously wrong with our new unborn son. His stomach was nearly twice the size of his head. After weeks of grueling testing and waiting, they finally diagnosed him with posterior urethral valves, which is a very serious and sometimes fatal condition. 
I had to move to Houston to the Ronald McDonald House so that doctors could perform a fetal intervention surgery on him while I was in labor. And then he spent the first 10 days of his life in the NICU. And we were frequent flyers at the hospital for the first year of his life. So my talk today is going to be a lot of fun. I want to talk to you about grieving well and grieving well together. I forgot to mention that the same son that had the posterior urethral valves, just for an added bonus, also had bilateral club feet. Um, and one day, we took him to church, and a man approached me and wanted to know why he had full leg cast on. And I said, oh, well, he has clubbed feet, um, and he has kidney issues and urological issues, so we're at the doctor a lot. And he said to me, oh, with a wave of his hand, oh, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. You see, what he was doing was shutting me up, as if me admitting my reality which was quite painful at the time, was somehow an assault on God. And good Christians don't speak that way. I want you to look at Psalm 13. Verse 1 through 4 says this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Did you know that more than half of the Psalms are laments like this one? But we don't like to read these, we don't like to talk about these, or hear the preacher talk about these on Sunday, because we are in an American culture and in a church culture that wants and expects us to go from positive to positive. Everything happens for a reason, it'll all work out. God's good, you're blessed. We are so guilty of toxic positivity, because sometimes... Things are just dark. And what I discovered in our rough half a decade is that when real darkness comes, when loss hits, when someone betrays, when a medical diagnosis brings you to your knees, we have to really sit and take in the darkness. I think of Jacob who wrestled with God. I think of Job who called out his many injustices. I think of Jesus himself who on the cross quoted the psalm saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, I think God himself is telling us something. He is telling us that he wants a real relationship with us, with you. Bring it all to me because I want all of you. The way that I have seen God in the darkness is by bringing him my most unimaginable thoughts by asking him, really? Why is this happening again? If you're really good, couldn't you have stepped in this time? And it may not have changed my circumstances, but the more I threw at him, the more I started to see him again. Walter Brueggemann says this about the Psalms. He says, because the one has promised to be in the darkness with us, we find the darkness strangely transformed, not by the power of easy light, but by the power of relentless solidarity. God himself is not the darkness, but he is in it with us. And if we give him all of us, he uses our pain and integrates it into our lives in a way that transforms us. Because look here, the last part of Psalm 13 says this, but I trust in your unfailing love, 
I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. One of the ways we get to this transforming hope, one of the ways we find our way out of the darkness is by giving our all over to God. But then there's this piece, church. We know through scripture that one of the primary ways God acts in the world is through us, his people. One way those in the dark start to see the light again are, is when us, God's people, sit in the dark pit with them. We, above ground, cannot just reach down a hand into the pen and pull the other person out. It does not work that way. We have to use our hands and feet to climb down into the pit and to sit and to listen. So let the grieved grieve and grieve alongside of them. Tell them, I am so sorry you are going through this. Tell me more. Offer to lighten their load, and I say this with as much emphasis as I can, specific services. Can I bring you dinner Tuesday? Can I watch your kids for you Saturday? We have to stop offering up cheap Christian cliches and even worse explanations. We have to stop telling our hurting friends and our hurting family that they are blessed or to look on the bright side because I can tell you from experience that only leads to more hurt. But when we climb down into the pit, when we listen, when we cry out with them, our friends, our loved ones will slowly begin to see the light again. So let's do away with toxic positivity and instead show relentless solidarity. We are made for relationship, all of us. We are made to have relationship with God and with one another. He designed us to belong to one another. So let's do all of life together, even, especially the darkest parts. We can grieve well, and we can grieve well together. Thank you. And here is Andrew Garcia. Do you ever have one of those moments, or maybe it's a season for you, where you kind of feel like the weight of the world on your shoulders is too heavy for you to bear, right? Like, like physically, it, it, it's, it's, it's on you. You can feel it. It drags you down. It holds you back. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you feel drained. You see, I, I, I've been living lately in this place, and I would call it a perpetual unrest. See, what I've noticed about my life is I've been feeding myself discontentment. I have been feeling anxious, feeling constantly disappointed with the outcome of my life. And, and the thing is, is I don't, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think that there are many of us, in, even in this room today, that we, we live and breathe in a place of unrest. Right? We, we all have hopes. We all have, have dreams for our lives. But at some point, we realize that we either miss the mark or, or, or maybe we, we, we didn't get close enough or we hit that goal and we still felt empty at the end of it, that it didn't bring the same contentment and satisfaction that we hoped. And, and the truth is, is that we're, we're all ambitious. And ambition can be good, honestly. You can actually have holy ambition, but holy ambition only comes from God. 
You see, we were created and made to dream, to, to pursue. The issue with our dreams is that they're not God-sized dreams. And if they're God-sized dreams, they only come when we're at rest. And the issue with the average American is that we're never at rest. We like to paint this with, with, with different words. We like to paint unrest in this healthy light. With, you know, we're, we're hustling, we're grinding, we're looking to provide. And, and physically, our bodies suffer because of how so many of us eat. Right? We lack water, we have poor breathing techniques, we pop pills to help aid us through the day, energy drinks to give us what we need to push us over the next hour. And please don't mistake me, I'm not, I'm not attacking the real needs that people have that medicine can fix, and it does help. But more often than not, I feel like we misuse and we abuse because we're looking to cut corners instead of to endure the cost that patience and time require. And spiritually, we're all fighting battles of the heart and the mind. We're not at rest. And it's in this space where I feel like I have to constantly remind myself of Psalms chapter 23. And this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. And he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And here's the question that I would want to know today. Is how many of you feel like your life is green meadows and peaceful streams? That's pretty obvious. But the next question's a little more revealing. Because how many of you could say that you're at rest right now in your life. And to kind of make it a little more pointed, another way to ask this is, are you content with you? There's no discontentment, no, no striving, no, no pursuing. Because the kind of rest that we need is the kind where, where normally somebody would be shaken up about something that they're about to experience, where they would have fear, you choose peace. Where, where someone would have anxiety, they choose to remain steadfast and unmoved. Where, where someone would, would, would sense hopelessness, they choose to have hope. And what we find in the psalm is that rest follows the shepherd. And so many of us are so restless in our lives to hustle and grind and provide and the lack of rest in our lives results in misplaced identity. You see, Cody said something incredible. He said that discontentment is a sin of looking over God's goodness in your life. 
But discontentment is also the source of restlessness, where we strive to perform with God instead of slowing down with God and trusting Him to provide. Restlessness reveals our identity crisis. Because the green meadows, the peaceful streams, are only for the sheep led by the shepherd. And that shepherd's name is Jesus. See, and the real issue with so many of us is that we're looking for deeper meaning in our lives. We want more. We want more. We don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to be chumps. We don't want to be losers. We want our life to matter. We want to make a difference. But the problem is that dreams, God's dreams, will not come until you are at rest. God's pace doesn't match our patience. Rest is in the reflection of who reigns over your life. Let me, let me finish this with one verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, today you have spoken through each and every one of these speakers into each and every one of our lives today. God, your Holy Spirit is putting its finger on some spots in our lives that you are trying to bring an awareness to. God, some of us are in a dark season. We feel alone. We feel lost. We feel hopeless. And today, God, you are here to remind us that in the silence and in the solitude, we can find you and that we can grieve with you and that you're taking us, God, to some place new where we can see our world and experience the joy that only you can give us. God, there are some giants that some of us are facing. And we have been looking up at the problem instead of looking down, believing that you have this in your hand. God, some of us have been experiencing discontentment. We've been poor stewards of what you've given us, and our appetite has only gotten us into trouble. And God, today we ask that as we invite you into our lives, that you would begin to reveal to us what it is that needs to change, the action that we need to take to let you live and breathe through us, to renew us in a new way, to see our world the way that you see it. Change us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.